Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Today's wonderful podcast guest is Anna Rutan, an accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist with over 12 years of experience. She specializes in pediatric and neonatal nutritional therapy and dietary education and is also the creator of Nourish Little Lives. On today's episode, we talk all things solids. We talk about the best age to start babies on solids, the benefits of waiting until six months, the difference between purees and baby-led weaning, if one is better than the other, if you can do both, how to reduce the anxiety with babies with gagging and choking, and then we finish with Anna's favorite meal ideas for babies. You can follow Anna on Instagram. She's at Nourish Little Lives, or you can head to our website, which is nourishlittlelives.com.au. You previously heard me talk about this episode's sponsor, Mac Nutrition Uni. As a reminder, MNU is fast becoming the gold standard when it comes to nutritional knowledge in the health and fitness industry. It's a 12-month, 100% evidence-based online nutrition course that can be completed alongside full-time work from anywhere in the world, and it qualifies you to be ensured to practice as a nutritionist in over 25 countries around the world. Enrollments for the course open yesterday, and they're only open for two weeks. Places are on a first-come, first-served basis, so get in quick. And remember, you can get a generous 90% off the enrollment fee using my coupon code LEANNE90. Welcome, Anna, to the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. I've been actually following you for such a long time, so... I'm so excited to be a guest. Oh, lovely. Well, I'm so excited that you're a guest as well. It fits so well with our lifestyle at the moment because Mia's just started solid. So a little bit selfishly, I'd love to have you on the podcast today to pick your brains about all things starting solids. But just before we jump in, I think our listeners need to know that A, you're uni qualified, but B, you're also mum qualified. And I know you're both. So how many littlies do you have? Uh, Yeah, I've got three kids. Um, I have an eight-year-old. an almost six-year-old, and my daughter is two and a half. So yeah, busy. Busy, busy busy times. Yeah, busy times. (laughs) But we make it work. Definitely. We've got the mum experience down pack. Um, Tell us a little bit more about your background in terms of, um, you know, being a dietitian and how you got into sort of the field of of pediatric dietetics. Yeah, sure. So I've obviously done my Bachelor of Nutrition and Dietetics and graduated and actually went straight into clinical work and I've actually worked in hospitals for about 12 years now for the last 10 or so years or 10 to 5 years been specializing in pediatrics so working in hospitals with children who are quite unwell things like faltering growth disabilities um, nutritional deficiencies and I actually love that work, but I also love being out in the um, social media space because I feel like you can have so much more of an impact trying to educate people and promote things um, from the get-go. Absolutely. They're both rewarding, aren't they? Because I actually started, I did probably six or seven years as a clinical dietitian as well. And I feel like it's they're both such rewarding pathways. Like social media, you can reach so many people. You're working with more of like the weller population, I guess, whereas in hospitals, sometimes they're so critically unwell. And it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Sometimes just working with people and you're like, I don't even know if they're going to make it or, you know, are they even going to come back? They're so unwell. So I feel like there's pros and cons to both, but it's so nice to have that experience across both areas, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's, I think even just being able to work in the multi D team in the hospitals, you know, you kind of know when to refer on to other disciplines if you notice something in a child. So it definitely gives you an advantage to have that clinical background. Mm. And yeah, you can definitely apply that to the one on one consults that I do now and definitely into social media as well. So yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's chat solid. So the first question I have for you is, is there a best age to start your baby on solid? So I know with Mia, I waited till basically 
a couple of days before six months, two reasons. I had done a little bit of research and I sort of found that I'm big into gut health and I sort of was working with the theory that the gut microbiome sort of is better established a little bit more around six months. And then the other reason, I just don't think developmentally she was really ready. Like she wasn't really reaching for my food. She wasn't opening her mouth if I put something near her. She was a bit floppy. She couldn't really sit up properly until a couple of weeks, you know, a couple of days before six months. So that was my sort of theory. But is there any research or is there a best age to start? Because I know a lot of my friends did it, you know, bang on four months. And I know a lot of people still do that, but is there, you know, there's quite a big range between four months and six months. Um, what's sort of the best research that we have at the moment? Yeah. I mean, you've done the right thing and kind of followed your mum instincts there, haven't you? Like you've observed so. Mia and you've noticed, you know, is she ready? Is she not ready? Is she interested? Is she's not interested? You know, mum instincts do play a really important part in anything that we do with our baby, especially starting solids. From an evidence-based point of view, We now know that developmental readiness really is one of the key factors for having a successful starting solids journey. Mm -hmm. So in 2016, the Australian Feeding Summit was held and they looked at all the evidence for starting solids, all the evidence from around the world, including the World Health Organization, and they developed a consensus statement. So they kind of consolidated all the information And that statement is that at around six months of age, when your baby is developmentally ready, you can start solid starting with iron foods first. Mm -hmm. So it really is at around six months. At around six months is not technically four months. There's a big difference developmentally between a baby at four months and a baby at six months. So that's two months of development. That's a big difference. So it really is more to be around six months and focusing on developmental readiness as a key the key point. I think it's also important to look at the nutritional qualities of breast milk as well because mm-hmm. there's been so many studies on breast milk and we know that breast milk will meet 100% of a baby's nutrition requirements until six months of age. Mm-hmm. So it is nutritionally complete. They don't actually need solids until that point in time. Mm-hmm. And if you're not breastfeeding, then the safe or the only alternative is infant formula, and that too can meet a baby's nutrition requirements until six months of age. Mm-hmm. So there's no hurry to start at four months. Definitely. Yeah. Focusing on developmental readiness is the key. Mm, absolutely. And would you say there's any, I guess, benefit or what reason would somebody have to start a baby at four months? Because I know that I don't know if it's just sort of a, a thing that happens, or I know a lot of my mums in my mum's group and my friend circles they're sort of of the belief that we should be starting at four months. And I know the minute Mia hit four months, people, I was getting DMs on Instagram being like, has she started solos? What are you starting her on? And I just feel like, did it used to say, you know, were the guidelines something around four months or where has this come from that babies, you know, should sort of be started at four months regardless of if they're ready or not. I felt a lot of pressure to start her at four months. And I really, even my GP, to be honest, yeah, like she said to me at four months, when she got her four month needle, she said to me, has she started solos yet? And I said to her, like, she can, like, she can't even sit up. She's super floppy like she's not interested and I just said I don't really feel comfortable starting her and she said aren't you a dietitian and I was like yeah but (laughs) yeah that's why I'm not starting yeah (laughs) um it's so interesting isn't it and look it is I think we have to understand that there has been a massive paradigm shift and like with Mm. all evidence it takes you know 10 years of the evidence before we actually put it into practice so we have to understand that a lot of people that are still practicing in this health space even GPs even healthcare nurses are not up to date with the current evidence base for recommending solids. Mm. So in this case, the evidence um, 100% supports starting solids at around six months of age and not earlier. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes parents do start it earlier or perhaps are pressured to start it earlier or advised to start it earlier by health professionals if you know their baby has reflux or their baby has faltering growth or growth difficulties or perhaps their baby is not sleeping well. And so it can be really tempting to look as, at starting solids as the answer mm. to those sorts of issues. And often the case, it actually adds more to those issues than helping. So because typically we're trying to start something before a baby's actually developmentally ready for it. So there's no evidence to show that it helps with growth in babies who are faltering. There's no evidence to show that starting solids helps with reflux. There's no evidence to show um starting solids helps with sleeping Mm -hmm. so they're kind of just 
myths, I guess, not evidence-based practice. Yeah, interesting. Isn't it interesting how it's almost like Chinese whispers, like the more something says, someone says it, the more, I guess it's sort of just that belief that we should be starting babies at four months. Yeah, it's almost like a little bit of a hurry too. Like somehow you've got to hurry through these milestones, like you've got to get them starting. So it's like we actually just need to follow our baby's cues and be really responsive. And that's how we develop a nice, lovely, trusting relationship. So I think, you know, again, following those mum instincts, if you can clearly see that your child's not ready or not interested, then there's no pressure to start. We know that breast milk can meet 100% of their nutrition requirements until six months of age. So, again, there's no nutritional need for it. And if they're not developmentally ready, then we should be waiting. I think, too, the other thing to consider is when we're typically starting out with solids, most parents will introduce fruits or vegetables as a first food. Mm. And if we look at the nutritional content of just a plain fruit puree or plain vegetable puree, a teaspoon of breast milk is going to provide way more nutrition than a teaspoon of pureed fruit. Mm, Absolutely. So, again, if we're looking for kind of providing those nutrition requirements for growth and development, you know, that crucial window of the first 1,000 days, then, again, there's no hurry to start solids. You mentioned about the sort of the developmental signs. So what are some signs that a baby is ready for solids? And would you say that, say, for example, a baby showing these signs at four months or at four and a half months, would you then still delay the introduction of solids just because we know it is probably better to wait until they are six months? What's that sort of, um, I guess, what's the consensus there? Yeah, I think it really comes down to really having an understanding about what the developmental signs of readiness are. And Also, we really want a baby to be showing all the signs of developmental readiness, not just one or two signs, because all of those skills coordinate together to make eating successful. Mm. So when we're looking at developmental readiness, we aim for a child to have some really lovely sitting balance so they can sit up nice and straight in your lap or in a high chair and they're not immediately toppling over or leaning We like to make sure that their head is nice and straight over their shoulders and they're able to keep it there steady and strong in that sitting position with no bobbing and moving around. Um, And that way they can coordinate the skills for eating because if they've got some lovely trunk control, they can reach and grab for food. That also means their jaw is nice and aligned and they can coordinate those skills for munching and sucking on food. And they're those gross motor skills that we're really aiming for in terms of developmental readiness for solids. We also know that at around six months of age, that tongue thrust reset reflex also starts to fade. So prior to that reflex going, the tongue thrust will push food or push the spoon out of the mouth. And so parents will assume, oh, the baby doesn't like the food mm-hmm. or the baby's, you know, not eating. It's actually just a reflex. So baby can't actually eat until that reflex is Mm. gone. That typically happens at around six months of age. Mm -hmm. Also, we're looking for interest in foods. We do want a baby to be interested. You know, are they looking at your food? Are they interested in what you're putting in your mouth? Are they trying to grab things off your plate? That's really important as well. So we want to kind of make sure that they're doing all four of those things really well before we start solids. Typically, all of those things happen at around six months of age, not before. Yeah, interesting. And I think the biggest thing I learned with Mia is that I think it was somewhere just after sort of five months, it was really, she'd sort of be really happy sitting in your lap. And then the minute you put something in front of her, she'd just grab it. Like she could not go a second without grabbing whatever was in front of her, whether I put her on my lap at my desk, she'd grab my cup, she'd grab my microphone, she'd grab my phone. And that was when I was sort of like, oh, okay. And then I'd start to put food in front of her and then she'd grab that and she could hold a spoon herself. So that for me, I was really like, oh, exactly. okay. And then one day she just literally went from lying down and then being able to sort of sit. And I was like, oh, wow, you like to sit in like a day or two. I was like, hold on, maybe we are getting ready for solids. So I feel like it happened so quickly. Yeah, I was almost, because I think it was about a couple of days before six months. And I was like, oh man, what if we go over six months or how do I know if she's ready? But I feel like everything kind of happened all in one week. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. We're ready now. (laughs) We're ready now. And that actually is usually how it happens. And the thing is too, like in all of my experience, I've never truly seen a baby at four months of age be truly developmentally ready for solids. And again, you know, it can impact actually the feeding journey because if there's pressure on the child to be eating solids when they're not ready, like any Mm. skill, walking or talking, if you're trying to make a child do something before they're developmentally ready, uh, it's not going to typically turn out well or the baby's going to become frustrated or you're going to become frustrated and that can just change that whole feeding dynamic and relationship. So Mm. we know that babies take better to solids 
the closer they are to six months of age. And how long would you go past six months before you would say it's a problem? So I had a lovely lady DM me and she said, I know you just started Mia. My bub's three months ahead of Mia, so she's eight months, but she's showing no interest and we haven't started solids yet. I've tried a few times and she just turns her head away. So when would you start to be worried or when would you say, okay, you definitely need to introduce by X amount of time? Is there a set time or is it just, you know, somewhere within that sort of six to, I don't know, nine month age bracket or something? No, there definitely is a a set time. There's kind of a small window of opportunity where babies take really well to solids and it is around that six to eight months of age. So Mm. you do want to kind of get in around six months. We also have to understand that breast milk at six months of age is not going to meet 100% of nutrition requirements anymore. So they need Mm. sources of iron, they need sources of protein and fat as well in their diet. So there is, I guess, you do want to get that solid in at around that six to seven months. Mm -hmm. After seven months, if baby's really still not interested and around that seven to eight month mark, they're not kind of eating a little bit more, not really interested in putting foods in their mouth, not interested in solids at all, then I would definitely recommend getting some individual advice and assessment on that Mm -hmm. just to see what could potentially be going on for your child. Mm -hmm. And would you think the best person would be someone like a paediatrician? Not necessarily. It really depends. Usually it could be a pediatric dietitian first okay. and then you would have the pediatric dietitian perhaps observe or understand the whole feeding relationship mm-hmm. and dynamic. Mm-hmm. If there is something going on orally for the child, then sometimes we might refer to a speech pathologist. If there's something going on from a sensory point of view, then perhaps we might refer to an occupational therapist. So it really depends um, what could potentially going on. Pediatric dietitian is usually the best place to start mm-hmm. when it comes to starting solids and difficulties with starting solids. Yeah, mm-hmm. and if they're experienced, they'll refer you on to somebody else if they're noticing that there's something else also going on in the background potentially. That's why we're so fortunate to have you Anna, on the podcast today, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, now that we, we understand when babies are sort of ready for solids, developmentally and when they're sort of you know showing signs of that readiness what is I guess the best thing to start them on so there's a lot of I guess opinions out there whether we should be starting them on the spoon fed purees versus the baby led weaning I know that the sort of the trend at the moment is more the baby led weaning but in all honesty that kind of freaks me out and I'm doing a first aid course next week which I'm super excited about and then I think we'll start solids together but I must admit I did start like we have started on purees first she's had a little nibble on a lamb chop Mia's had um, a sort of a nibble on some hard sourdough crust as well but other than that we've basically just done some purees so what in your opinion is the best the best one to start with if there is a better one I guess we can approach it from a number of different angles I might talk about what each one is individually and then we can talk about the benefits of both and then perhaps the overarching principles of what we want to establish for a lovely healthy feeding relationship because what we really want babies to be in the end is really autonomous with their eating so that they can control how much they eat at a meal we want them to be really intrinsically motivated to eat food so how we set that up from the beginning is really important So baby-led weaning is essentially where we allow our baby to self-feed from the moment that they start solids. Mm -hmm. So they are autonomous from the beginning in terms of what they put in their mouth, what they touch, what's in front of them. And it's basically our job, I guess, to provide the food and the baby's job to decide if they eat and how much they eat. Mm -hmm. Baby-led weaning has benefits. There have been studies done on baby-led weaning that show that um, longer-term Babies can be less fussy when compared to traditional spoon feeding Mm -hmm. at around 18 to 5 months of age. There's studies that have shown that some babies are at lower risk of obesity. Some studies have also shown that babies are a little bit more advanced in their skills because they've been feeding, self-feeding for a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely some advantages. I guess it also helps when we're looking at preparing food because With baby-led weaning, you're often giving your baby something that's on your plate or part of the family meal from the moment they start solids. We're not preparing separate baby food. So it does make it a little bit easier if you're trying to coordinate meals and you're busy and you're cooking, you're only kind of cooking one meal yeah, and then making it appropriate for your baby. So that works as well. With baby-led weaning, it is important to make sure that you're serving things in a safe way. Hmm. There have been studies done on baby lead weaning to look at the risk of choking and they have shown that there's no increased risk of choking with baby lead weaning when compared to traditional spoon feeding. Hmm. But it is important just to understand how to serve food so that it's in a safe way. Hmm. 
Mm. With traditional spoon feeding, we're essentially giving them the food in a puree form and feeding it to the child on a spoon and then kind of slowly progressing through textures as the baby starts to develop skills. Mm-hmm. So it can be in some situations more challenging for a baby to be as interactive with their food if we are feeding them. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of one of the, I guess, downsides of spoon feeding because babies learn by seeing food, by touching food, by getting messy, by interacting um, food. We want them to kind of be covered in foods. Eating is a really sensory-based process Mm -hmm. and those are key steps to learning about food. So we want them to be able to see, touch, feel, lick, taste, everything on their tray. So as long as we're kind of aware of that with spoon feeding, it can be okay and not trying to control the process too much. So mm-hmm. if they're grabbing for the spoon, for example, let them hold the spoon. Mm-hmm. If they want to put their hands in the puree, let them put their hands in the puree. Um, we should also be encouraging those, them to do all those things because we want them to touch and interact with food as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Sorry, as long as you're letting those things happen with spoon feeding, you're still going to get this, kind of the same benefits as baby led weaning, mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. as well. And is there, I kind of feel like I'm doing a bit of both. And I know it's sort of, it's very, I feel like on social media, I personally feel like it's either you do one or the other, but I kind of feel like I'm kind of doing both. Like I'm using purees, but Mia's completely feeding herself. Like I put the spoon in front of her, she picks it up off the tray, she feeds herself and when she's ready for more, she puts it down and I'll re-sort of fill it. So I don't like, you know, aeroplane mode kind of feed her like that. You're not controlling that spoon feeding. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So she does that. It goes everywhere. It goes in her hair, in her ear. Like, you know, she finally gets it in her mouth. So she learns that way. We're not taking in very much, but that's okay. And then she's also had a nibble on, a bit of a lamb chop, some sourdough. Am I doing a bit of both? Is that okay? (laughs) Yeah, it's totally okay. Um, Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's kind of combination feeding, isn't it? You're combining Mm. a bit of finger food and a little bit of puree. It's completely safe to do. For a long time, there was a myth that you could only do one at a time. Mm. It, it was like you had to do baby led weaning or you had to do puree. Mm. And this kind of stemmed from the idea, not from professionals, mind you, but from people who were promoting baby led weaning, that you could only do one thing at a time. So your baby couldn't learn to eat purees and learn to eat finger food at the same time, mm. which, of course, when you look at it from an evidence-based point of view, doesn't make any sense because your baby has to coordinate multiple skills when they're eating solids. Um, they have to, you know, hold their body upright. They have to use all their senses. They have to understand when they're hungry and full. They have to coordinate their body in space. So your baby can certainly coordinate lots of different schools, skills at the one time, including managing purees and managing textures. So I actually like the combination approach because it gives you the benefit of getting a little bit of extra nutrition in with the purees because mm. um, they might tend to eat a little bit more and then they're mm. also getting the benefit of the finger food where they can touch and interact with it. The most important thing is that we're providing them with that environment where they can interact with food because babies learning, like learning to eat is a process like any skill. We need to learn how to eat. It's not something that we just do. Baby doesn't just get given food and they're going to start eating straight away. They need mm. to learn how to eat. You know, they might only eat a teaspoon to start out with for the first few weeks. So it takes a little bit of time to start taking in food. And we need to remember that that interaction with food and building some nice um, or having some nice sensory exposures to food is really important for learning about it. Mm, and they love it, don't they? Like Mia loves nothing more than putting her hands in everything, getting it everywhere. Exactly. <laughs> we even bought one of those like catcher things for the yeah. high chair. And it's where the food just still goes like a meter past yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And look, you can never really know how much your baby eats when you're feeding them them oat. And that's okay. I always kind of encourage parents to not focus on volume, but focus on learning. Mm-hmm. Like, have you provided a rich learning experience for them? Have they had a great time interacting with food? Have they touched and licked and tasted things on their plate? Then that's mm-hmm. a really successful meal. Love it. All right. Well, can I be super cheeky and and ask what you did with your three kids? Did you start with um, more purees or did you do baby lead winning? Did you do the combination? Yeah, great question. Um, when I started Leo, that was eight years ago now. And, you know, I did, even as a dietitian, um, got pressured by my pediatrician to start at four months of age. So we did start a little bit earlier for Leo and started on purees, but then I quickly kind of realized that wasn't going to work for us. So we stopped and waited until he was ready and then we went straight to finger food. Mm -hmm. 
my middle child, Harvey, there was no way you were going to get a spoon anywhere near his mouth. And lots of babies are like this. They just do not like the spoon. They don't like purees and that's okay. Mm. So we've got to follow our baby's cues. So in that case, we did 100% baby led weaning with him because it just was not going to happen with purees. And then with my daughter, we did a mix of both mm. because she was quite happy to have purees and she was also loved finger food. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, you can with, even within your own children, you're going to have little differences. Yeah. It's okay to be responsive and follow their cues. And there's no real right or wrong way. As I said, that most important thing is that they're allowed to interact with the food. It's not so much the texture that's the issue. It's more so that they're being autonomous in the feeding process, whether it's with a spoon or whether it's with finger food. I will point out, though, that with purees, it is really important to progress textures mm-hmm. because sometimes we get stuck mm-hmm. on puree yeah. and then parents don't know how to progress. So there's a key window for getting lumps into a baby's diet, we know that if we don't get lumps in before eight to nine months of age, that there is an increased risk of them being a lot fussier as they get older. It's like we miss that window for them to take on lumps Mm. and they can kind of get stuck on those purees. So we do want to make sure we're getting in some lumpy textures. Generally, I like to recommend to parents, if you're on puree and your baby is kind of regularly having a teaspoon or so of puree, you can go straight to mashed or start progressing with a little bit of lumpy food or start adding in some finger food as well. Mm, that's great because I was going to say, I think I did, we're probably only in about week two of solids and I'm pretty sure I gave Mia some more lumpy mashed avocado than smooth the other day just because I was in a rush and then I kind of noticed as I was putting it on the spoon and I was like, I'm just going to kind of see how she goes and like she seemed to do all right with it. Again, she didn't eat too much of it, but I didn't yeah. yet completely make it a smooth puree. It was, it had little lumps in it. Yeah. So. And you don't really need to, like if you're waiting till six months, there's no need to do that real smooth watery puree. Mm. They can manage a mash texture from the get-go. They can manage finger food from the get-go. Just make sure that you're progressing. Yeah, and I just love having experts like you on because if you just were like I was at the supermarket and I was just having a look in the, you know, the baby range of what was available in terms of purees and that sort of thing. I'm a busy mom, I work full time, I've got a little barb and I was like, I don't have time to blend and puree everything myself. I was like, I'm just gonna see what's available at the supermarket. Yeah. And wasn't it interesting that everything is basically smooth puree until it says eight months and there's a very clear statement on pretty much every brand's packet, not until eight months, not until ten months, not until twelve yeah. months. So isn't that interesting? It I guess is. that's what like a safety and liability thing. From companies? Potentially a safety and liability thing. Um, if we truly followed the directions on the packets um, as our texture guide, then you will find that, you know, babies just aren't going to have enough exposure to things that are going to help them with their oral development. You know, they need texture to help and chew. Babies don't need teeth to chew food. Mm. Um, they actually can do what's called early munching patterns, just using their gums. They can squish food um, with their tongue and onto the roof of their mouth. So it's actually really important that we give them things with textures because this helps them to build their oral skills for eating those trickier textures. If we keep them on those smooth purees and not really developing those skills. Um, even that eight-month puree, if you look in the packet, it's a still a really watery mm. puree with some kind of floating lumps through it. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. that can even be a trickier texture for babies because you don't know when you're going to get a lump. So, um, again, I think if you can start offering some foods from home, mashing things yourselves, like even mashing a banana or doing some finger food, Mm. it's going to give them way more exposure to the textures, give them way more oral skills than kind of following the progression on the baby packets, which is just very, very limited in terms of texture. Yeah, and pretty kind of like old school from what we really do know around the baby lead weaning and the different benefits of it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, you know, just, I mean, even nutritionally, of of course, you know, they're okay sometimes, but they really don't provide a huge amount in terms of nutrition compared to what you could offer your baby at home. They're quite low in iron. Mm. Um, There was a study done just recently from New Zealand and it showed that, you know, a baby would need to eat two kilograms of shelf baby food to meet their nutrition requirements for iron, which is impossible. Obviously, we'd never recommend doing that. It works out to be about 14 packets of baby food in a day. So, Mm. again, use sporadically, not an issue, um, as long as you're providing lots of other iron sources in their diet. So, yeah, from a texture point of view, from a learning point of view, from a nutritional point of view, not for everyday use, but certainly sometimes is okay. Yeah, out and about if you're travelling or if you're on the road or something or if you're going to a park, it's convenient, isn't it? It's convenient, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 
Is it is iron deficiency a big thing in bubs under 12? 12 months? Um, look, it can be. Like, if you look globally around the world, it is quite a mm. significant issue. Mm. And we know that iron foods do need to be a first food that is introduced to babies because their iron stores drop at around six months of age. Breast milk does contain some iron in it and it's very um, bioavailable iron, but they still need additional iron sources beyond that from six months of age. And the iron requirement is actually quite high. If you look at the baby's iron requirements, it's about 11 milligrams a day for the RDI, which is more than a grown man would need for iron. So iron per kilogram is actually quite high in babies. So we do need to get those iron foods in first. Crazy, especially when you think about how little they really eat as well. Exactly, yeah. I'm just going to take a moment to shout out this episode's sponsor, Mac Nutrition Uni, as enrolments for their next intake are now open. With the MNU certification, you are qualified to be insured to practice as a nutritionist. You can get a bespoke insurance policy right here in Australia, which you can also use to work with clients globally. They have insurance policies in over 25 countries, including the US, Canada and the UK. MNU teaches you everything you need to know to get the best results with a wide range of clientele, including weight loss and muscle gain, as well as athletes. Likewise, they have modules on creating your own corporate wellness programs, working online as a coach, and they provide a year's worth of business and professional mentoring to help you set up your own nutrition consultancy. You can also just use the course to improve your own nutritional knowledge around evidence-based nutrition. You can find out more information at www.mac-nutritionuni.com. And as a listener of the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast, you can also get a generous 90% off the enrollment fee using the coupon code LEANNE90. As I mentioned, enrollments are now open and places are limited, so get in quick. All right, and then I guess what am I... I'm going to say anxieties and I feel like a lot of parents have the same thing around the baby led weaning. It's just the gagging. And I know I've done a lot of reading. I know that gagging is very different to choking, but I think it still makes me just that little bit anxious. So how can we, I guess, reduce some of the anxiety around it? Or is it just about preparing food safely in terms of what age your bub is at? Is that the the best thing that we can do in terms of preventing things like the the choking? Because gagging is, it's normal, isn't it? Like we, we almost want it because it's just a, it's a normal reflex for babies. Absolutely. Gagging is a normal reflex for babies. It's it's basically because their gag reflex in babies is positioned really close to the tip of their tongue. So again, it's part of that safety mechanism when they're very small infants, if they put something in their mouth, they're going to spit it out straight away. Mm. So it keeps their airway safe when they're small babies. As they get a little bit older, as they start to put things in their mouth, so you often see babies kind of chewing on their hands or chewing on teethers, mm. putting things in their mouth. All these things actually help to move the gag reflex back. Typically, we know that the gag reflex tends to move back towards the tongue and a little bit back towards the throat by around 7 to 12 months of age. And when that happens, babies are going to start gagging less because it's not going to be triggered right at the tip of their tongue anymore. Interesting. It's a safety mechanism and it helps because it basically kind of constricts the pharynx and kind of protects, stops the swallow from happening. So baby spits out the food Mm -hmm. and, and then it, it's protective against choking. So if they're gagging, it's again, it's not a it's a part a normal developmental part of learning how to eat. Babies can gag a lot on puree food too. I think we need to kind of move away from this idea that babies are only gonna gag if they're doing baby led weaning. Mm. Lots of babies that I see will gag on purees. Some babies will gag on purees more, especially if they're really not liking that texture. Mm. So I think as long as as long as they're gagging, it's okay. It just don't want it to become too excessive or kind of carry on for too long during the feeding process. As we said, Mm. as they start putting things in their mouth, as they start eating more, that gag reflex moves back and they'll start gagging less eventually. Mm -hmm. So gagging can kind of look like, I guess, spitting food up or their their face can kind of turn bright red and they'll almost kind of open their mouth and push food out. Some babies might vomit a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, all part of normal development when learning how to eat Mm -hmm. choking of course is a very serious event which needs to be acted on immediately Mm -hmm. because it means that your baby's airway is constricted or partially constricted by Mm -hmm. an object or by food Mm -hmm. so two very different things I always recommend in terms of managing anxiety, really understanding what gagging looks like Mm. and also what choking looks like. So having a really good understanding what's gagging, what's not. If your baby's gagging, 
the best thing you can do is not overreact as well. You don't want to kind of get in there and be sticking your fingers in their mouth because that could actually push the food further back down Mm. their throat, which could cause choking. So you want to kind of encourage them to get the food out by themselves. You kind of don't want to overreact and kind of start hitting them on the back if they're gagging because, again, a big reaction from us can actually make them quite scared Mm -hmm. and um, cause a negative experience when they're eating food. So if they're gagging, try and remain calm, show them what to do. Most cases they're going to get it out by themselves. With choking, obviously, again, more of a serious event, I definitely recommend doing a baby first aid course because then they, you'll have some clear skills that you can implement straight away if you need to administer first aid. Mm-hmm. Again, when it comes to choking, we know that with baby led weaning there isn't an increased risk of choking, but we do need to serve food safely mm-hmm. and we do need to avoid foods that can or do have a high choking risk in babies. And those foods are things like whole nuts, you definitely want to avoid giving nuts to babies you don't want to give babies you know round grapes or even blueberries or peas or single pieces of corn because they cannot um, block the airway also choking risks are things like round cut sausages or chunks of meat or cheese so we just want to be mindful about how we're serving food for babies to reduce that risk of Mm. choking Mm. Um, the other things to be considerate of is like things like chips and crisps and like hard crackers, babies can actually choke on those. Mm. So having a really good understanding on the foods that can cause choking and what you need to avoid doing a baby first aid course, you always want to stay with your baby while they're eating. Don't leave them alone with food because technically Mm. they could choke on anything realistically. Mm. So always Mm. stay with them. And the other thing is too, making sure they're in a really lovely seating position. You know, if they're slouched over, if they're not sitting upright, if they're inclined, you know, some people feed their babies kind of lying back in a bouncer. Um, you know, all those things can increase the risk of choking. So mm. we do want them sitting up, you sitting with them as well. I was just going to say, I'll, um, I follow a paramedic on Instagram and she's wonderful and she was saying don't feed babies in strollers when they're quite young because, again, it's, yeah, it's it's on the move and they're not paying attention and they're distracted because they're looking at different things. And That's the first thing parents do to try and quieten kids down when they're in a stroller is give them food to, you know, let them stay in the stroller for a little bit longer. So I said to my hubby, I said, we have a rule with Mia until she, you know, is maybe past 12 months and at least walking and quite good at it. Well, you know, she's only going to feed in a high chair, no, no other position. Like she has to be safe. She has to be in a good position. It has to be a calm environment because, yeah, otherwise it is a lot, a lot higher choking risk, isn't it? Absolutely. And look, we know that lots of choking incidents occur in the car. They just do because mm. parent, you know, we might be doing a long trip, we give the baby food if they're getting, you know, a little bit worked up or upset in the car, and it does in- increase the risk of choking. Um, you think about turning corners, going over bumps, all those sorts of things can mean that food is going to go down the wrong way, even in the pram as well. So definitely not on the move is the recommendation. Mm, absolutely. And you think even the position, like I could think about Mia and her car sitting in the car. She's like not fully reclined, but she's definitely like she's not in an optimal feeding position, isn't she? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So upright, sitting, not moving, another key point to minimise the risk of choking. It's something, unfortunately, that all parents worry about. Like you're always going to have a little bit of anxiety there. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you know what you're doing, you know what you need to do and you're serving food safely, then you can absolutely minimise that risk. And talking about serving food safely, I know with baby led weaning, it's very much, um, you know, it has to be soft and you have to be able to sort of mush it between your fingers. Like say sweet potato, for example, we want it to be about sort of like two finger widths wide and about a finger length long. So they can sort of, it comes out the top and the bottom when they grip it. Isn't that right? Exactly. In terms of that's a safe food. Yeah. And if they were to say, I guess because they can't have teeth, I guess my biggest fear of giving me something like that is if she'd take kind of a big bite out of it, but then I'm like, she doesn't have teeth, so she really can't do that, can she? (laughs) I'm worried like a big chunk of it will come out in her mouth and she'll choke on it or something. Yeah, I mean, look, if it's soft and it's going to squish between your fingers, Mm. then it's also going to squish between their gums and it's also going to squish in their mouth with their tongue and the roof of their mouth. So Mm. those sorts of foods, you know, if they're taking a bite or a piece off, they're not going to be potentially dangerous things so they're just going to mash it in their mouth before they swallow it Mm. so where it becomes dangerous if it's more like a hard piece of food and they've bitten a piece off then that could be potentially a bit more of a choking risk generally with baby led weaning you know in those early stages six to eight months bigger is better so that they can't put something like teeny tiny in their mouth you know like a corn kernel it's safer to serve corn on the cob as an example 
But even if they were, say, biting, because I've seen corn in a cob, and again, that give, I swear it gives me anxiety as well. I swear everything does around feeding <laughs> babies. But I think, oh, well, what if they take a little sort of nibble off it and a corn kernel then comes off the cob? Or is that not possible because they don't have teeth? Are they more likely to kind of just suck the juices out? Yeah, at that point, at that stage, they wouldn't have the strength to kind of bite a corn, an actual corn whole off the cob. They'll munch on it and they might break a piece off. But by breaking a, a small piece off, it's not that round kernel shape, you've kind of changed the shape of it. So usually to minimise risk of choking, we don't want to not serve the foods. We want to change the shape of the food or change the texture of the food to make it safe. So, for example, I wouldn't serve um, like an apple piece uncooked that baby could take a bite out of, but I would serve cooked apple pieces and I would serve grated apple. Mm-hmm. So it's just about knowing how to serve everyday foods in the safest way possible. And you have a wonderful ebook on that, don't you? I do have an ebook on that, yeah, with lots of little examples that you can take a look and get ideas from. Absolutely. And find us on your website? It's on the website. Yeah. <laughs> wonderful. We'll get you to we'll get you to let our listeners know about that later. Because I'm sure they're thinking, well this is all great, Anna, but how do I know how what this I looks know? like? Or how do I know how to yes. serve the food safely? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, there is stuff up on um my Instagram page as well, just showing people how to kind of and serve everyday foods or family foods to babies. Wonderful. And your Instagram, let our listeners know. Oh, it's at Nourish Little Lives. All right. Well, how do we know, I guess, um, in the very beginning, you know, bubs aren't eating a whole lot, but how do we know if enough is enough, you know? I guess, you know, they always say breast milk or infant formula should be the sole source of nutrition up until six months. And then really it's the main, you know, source up until 12 months. So at the moment, you know, we're only two weeks in. I haven't dropped any of Mia's feeds yet. She's just not really taking in much at all. But I guess as they start to grow and as they start to eat more, that's when we sort of taper it down. But when would we be concerned that a baby isn't eating enough? Are there certain, are we just tracking growth or is there certain milestones they should be reaching in terms of amounts of foods as they grow? Yeah, that's a really good question. There's no real guide in terms of amounts of food for baby. You know, we need to understand that learning to eat is a really slow, gradual process. So, you know, from the moment starting solids to managing, you know, 100 mil of food is on average about 46 days. So it takes about a month, over a month, month and a half to even get to managing just 100 mil of food. So it is a slow process. You know, we do recommend just starting out slowly, starting out with one meal a day, making sure we're offering breastfeed or if you're formula feeding, do formula feed first before you offer solids Mm -hmm. because that is still the nutritional priority up until 12 months of age. And how much a baby eats is really not our job to control. It's our job to provide the food and provide them with a lovely, supportive and safe feeding environment. So it comes back down to that division of responsibility. You know, we provide and child decides. Mm. It's really up to the child to decide if they eat and how much they eat. Healthy growing babies are really good at knowing when they're hungry and when when they're full and they will give you clear signs when they're not interested in the meal. And Mm. you have to be 100% comfortable to stop the meal when they're showing you they're not interested. And those cues could be really subtle. It could just be turning your head away. It could be staring off into space um, as really kind of subtle cues for fullness, losing interest. Mm. And then it can kind of escalate if we're not listening to getting really irritated in the high chair or starting to cry um, or throwing their hands up. So, you know, we just Mm -hmm. need to follow our baby's cues for hunger and fullness and know that it's normal for babies to eat more one day than the next or they might eat more at one meal than the next meal. And that's okay. We need to be Mm -hmm. really responsive. And that's something that's really important when we're starting solids is establishing a lovely, trusting feeding relationship with our child where we teach them to trust their cues for hunger and fullness because we want them to be able to do that for the rest of their lives. We want them to be intuitive eaters. Mm. If we're trying to override that from the moment we start solids, then they, it's going to be really hard for them to s- listen to those cues when they're older. I love that. And I feel like that's a big fear from parents. I get people DMing me on Instagram all the time saying, I don't think my baby's eating enough. But particularly in those first you know, six to 12 months, 
it should really be breast milk or infant formula that, you know, we're topping up with as well. So if they haven't eaten too much, that's great. They can just have a little bit more milk. So yeah. I feel like it's a big fear. Parents think, oh, like the other day Mia didn't have anything. I think she tried a spoon at breakfast, didn't want a bar of it, was pursing her lips and tossing her head away. And I was like, okay, well, we'll try again in the afternoon. Didn't want any then either. I thought, all right, well, that's fine. The next morning didn't take anything. Then the next night she was like, oh, give me it all. And I think she had about six spoons in a row, which yeah. is really good for her. So yeah. it's just, it's as you said, it's learning, it's trusting it. It's knowing that if they don't have it some days, then they'll pick it up another day. They don't always have to eat a set amount every single day. Exactly. And, you know, we need to also think about that following their cues is really important because we want them to be intuitive, healthy, happy eaters when they're older. So if we're constantly trying to override their cue for hunger or fullness um, because we're focusing on a set volume, then they're going to find it really hard to even trust those cues when they get older. So I always like to think about, you know, what if the mealtime, the mealtime doesn't have to be focused on volume for it to be successful. It can be a successful mm-hmm. meal just by them touching or looking at food. Mm-hmm. They don't really have to eat it for it still to be successful. So remember, it is that big sensory process of learning how to eat. So as long as they're interacting and they're happy in the high chair, then that was a successful meal no matter how much they actually ate. I love that. It's about the experience. Yeah, I think too, like when you see a lot of images on Instagram of, you know, foods that are being served to babies, like sometimes I'm like, there's so much food on that plate. like So much. So much. Like calm down. <laughs> and if they're serving those plates that are div- they have the divides between them and there's like six different things on the plate. I'm like. Oh. It's like topped up. <laughs> I know, so much. So, you know, you've got to keep it simple. Babies, they don't need a million options on their plate. Um, they don't need separate baby food. Just pick a couple of things, put them on their tray. Mm. Um, and if they eat more or they want more, you can always provide more. Mm. So just follow their cues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've talked multiple times about how important iron is. So what are your, I guess, really for like a sort of six-month-old baby starting out, what are the best sources? What are the best types of things we can give? I know I did a lot of reading where a lamb chop and I just gave that to me. I cooked it really well, cooled it down, and she basically just sucked on it and she loved it. Like she, I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> she really liked it. So we've done that a few times and they sort of just suck the iron out of it. But say, for example, someone's a vegetarian or they don't cook a lot of meat or, you know, those little French lamb cutlets, they can be quite expensive as well so yeah. what are some I guess good affordable options I know beans and legumes are quite high in iron aren't they yeah absolutely I mean we need to look at the type of iron as well in terms of you know heme iron coming from an animal source is obviously going to be much more bioavailable um, we do need to also include other plant-based sources of iron because it's really important to serve variety to babies so all types of iron are important mm-hmm. um, we might just want to include a vitamin c food if we're serving a plant-based iron food to a baby so that's going to help with the absorption so foods that are really high in iron, liver is a wonderful source of iron for babies. I know a lot of people get turned off or scared with liver, um, but there is lots of easy things that you can prepare it with or even add it into foods like bolognese or, you know, you can add it to omelettes or you can add little bits of it to other foods. So that's also another good source of iron for babies. Red meat, obviously like your lamb, your beef. Chicken's also a good source of iron. So kind of don't be afraid to serve meat as a first food. I was kind of giving a presentation the other day about talking about starting solids and I was talking about meat as a first food and everyone was almost just blank in the face, like, what do, what do you mean? I've got to give my baby meat as a first food. <laughs> it's like, they, yeah, I think because we're so, you know, it's so common just to do fruits and vegetables as a first food. Yeah. But really iron's so important. So you can definitely get in there with the meat from the get-go. Um, the other thing you can also look at is, you know, eggs and fish, which are al- allergens. So you want to kind of introduce mm-hmm. them as an allergenic food. But once they're in the diet, you can include them regularly and they're lovely sources of iron as well. When we're looking at your more plant-based sources of iron, obviously you've got white beans, lentils are a fantastic source of iron, chia seeds, kidney beans. You've also got tofu, also an allergen because it's soy. So again, mm-hmm. you want to introduce it as an allergen. But once it's in the diet, you can include it regularly as well. Mm-hmm. I always like to focus on whole food sources of iron as opposed to kind of only iron fortified products. And the Mm. reason being is that if you're using a whole food iron, so something like red meat or something like lentils, you're also going to be getting a whole load of other nutrients with that food. You're going to be getting zinc. You're going to be getting protein. You might be getting fat. Mm. You might be getting other vitamins and minerals that you won't get if you're just using, say, an iron fortified rice cereal. 
So it is important just to include those everyday family foods, whole foods, iron sources in your baby's diet. And you can do that in two ways, really. It's the purees or you can do it as more the baby-led weaning in the safer. Yeah. Or you could do both. Yeah, or you and could do yeah, both. <laughs> sometimes you do both. So some people are really kind of nervous about doing meat for babies. So then I recommend, okay, well, let's puree the meat portion and then you can do some lovely soft vegetable sticks for your finger food. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of do a bit of both. Yeah, and I think that that part probably is the same for me. I think I get more anxiety around the meats versus the veggies and fruits when I can do them in sort of like the finger length options, like a little bit of soft pumpkin or soft sweet potato. Yeah. That to me, I'm like, oh, I think I can handle that a little bit more than giving her something like, yeah, a bit of steak or a bit of chicken or something. Yeah. So I like that idea. I like the more the combination feeding. The combination. I think, that. Yeah. I think that works for a lot of people. And I think just that myth out there that you can't do both. I think it's so nice for our listeners to hear, well, actually you can and it's completely safe and it's perhaps even a better option for most babies. Oh, absolutely. I, I 100% agree. And there's some foods that just aren't safe for babies, you know, to be eating kind of in a whole food form. Like you have to modify them in some way. And so, you know, you, you almost need to be able to serve them on a spoon for a baby to eat them. So something like, for example, if you're going to do a slow-cooked meal and you wanted to give some to baby or you've made a lovely chicken soup or you might have be serving yogurt or oats, you know, those sorts of things babies you're either spoon feeding or they're kind of hand feeding those foods as well. So Mm. you can definitely get more variety in if you're doing both. Yeah, I could imagine yogurt just trying to do the baby led weeding on that. What do you do? Just put in a bowl and they use their fingers and scoop it into their mouth, do they? Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's nice and fun and lovely and sensory and they learn so much from that. But there's nothing wrong with also, you know, preloading a spoon for them and you putting it down and they pick up the spoon or you can hand them a spoon in the air and they can put that in the mouth as well. So you can certainly do a combination of both. Love it. I love that. That's probably my favourite takeaway from the whole podcast. It's okay to do a combo of both. It is okay. (laughs) And then, Anna, to wrap it up, I would love to know what your favourite, I guess, two or three meal ideas for new parents starting their bubs out on solids. What would they be if you had, say, top two or three favourite meal ideas? That is a good question. I, rather than focusing on, I guess, a meal idea itself, I like to focus on combinations of food. So the most important thing is including an iron food Mm -hmm. and then usually a fruit or vegetable as a first food. So Mm -hmm. you could do chicken and carrot. You could do pumpkin and beef. You could do avocado and lentils, for example. They would be Mm -hmm. some really lovely combinations where you're going to get a nice balance of exposure to fruits and vegetables and obviously some lovely vitamin C and other vitamins in there. And then you're also going to get the benefit of the iron and some lovely fat as well. So I think just kind of focusing focusing on balancing your meals would be the most important thing as opposed to a specific meal. Wonderful tip to end the podcast on. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. Really, really appreciate your time. So I'd love if you could tell our listeners a little bit more about your great ebook as well and where they can find you in terms of social media and your website as well. And also if you offer consults throughout Australia. Or even internationally. (laughs) Yeah, no, I offer consults throughout Australia. We do one-on-one lots of work with starting solids, but also children with fussy eating or issues with progressing solids. We do lots of allergy and intolerance work as well with um, young babies and children. So you can definitely find all that information on the website. www.nourishlittlelives.com.au. You can also find the link to the shop there and the link to the ebook. I've also got a lovely little allergen introduction chart, which keep, helps you keep track of all your allergen introductions and stages through through a number of progressions. So the ebook's about over 100 pages of evidence-based information. Um, everything is referenced. It also includes recipes and specific instructions for how to introduce allergens as well. So really, I've tried to put in there everything that I would want to know about starting solids into the one place. Um, so you can find all the information in one spot, basically. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. You've given us so much wisdom today. And I'm very excited to let our listeners know that Anna will be back for a part two on the potty, um, answering all of our listener questions. So plenty more of wisdom to come. Um, and yeah, stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you so much again for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.